Rochester Church of Christ is called to live God's gospel, truth, and love with the world so that we all may find life together in God. Our hope is that this message will share that gospel, truth, and love in a way that will bless you, enrich you, and better equip you as a disciple. Before you sit down, let's say a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together, to encourage each other, and to worship you. God, to learn from your word and to hear the testimony of of, of your spirit. God, we thank you for the table that we'll share. We thank you for the water that bears witness. We thank you for the word that will speak. God, these witnesses, these faithful witnesses, guide us. Help us, Father, to listen to you today. God, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for being with us at all times and guiding us. We love you. We choose you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to say thank you um, to Clint for filling in for me last week. I was traveling um, and he filled in so ably. I appreciated the words, Clint, that uh, you shared about um, the paradox of the gospel, that victory comes through surrender. That life comes through death, and that we win when we learn to lose everything for the sake of knowing Christ. Those thoughts are actually really appropriate for some of what we're going to talk about today. Um, This, I don't think, means anything to someone under 40. Uh, But it's not my fault they've missed out on one of the great cinematic masterpieces of our time. All right, so, so it is your job, if you haven't seen the Blues Brothers, to figure out what Jake and Elwood are up to. Um, that's going to tie in here in a minute. <clears throat> Two weeks ago, as we prepared for VBS, I talked to you about Daniel and how he served God faithfully during a period in Israel's history known as the Exile. If you recall, God's people were taken into exile after being defeated. They were defeated in battle. They were defeated politically. They were defeated. Jerusalem was laid to waste, and the children of God were taken away as slaves into Babylon. They had lost. They found themselves in a foreign place with no temple, no power, And no idea at all of what it meant or what God was up to. And that right there is a great description of being in exile. No temple, no power, no idea of what God is up to. Psalm 137.4 is one of the psalms that was written during this time. They've been carried off to Babylon, and the the feeling of the psalmist is this. He says, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? 
Do you, do you expect us to just go on singing the praise of the temple when we don't have a temple anymore? Do you expect us to go and sing the praises of Zion, the praises of God's people when God's people are slaves now? How do, how do we sing the songs of the Lord while we're in a foreign land? There are many people who believe, and I think they're right, that the church is in its own kind of exile right now. Statistics reveal that for the last 30 years, church membership has been declining worldwide and especially in America. In the next 30 years, it's predicted to decline by more than 75%. Just this week, I was messaged personally by four different people whose churches and congregations are facing closure. The fastest growing religious group in America are identified as the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Which means that when the survey comes out and it says, what religious group do you identify with? They mark none. No religious affiliation. There are now more people annually who answer that survey none than there are evangelicals okay roughly 24 percent of the nation is saying none if you talk about 18 to 34 year olds more than a third of them almost 35 percent identify as nuns 18 to 34 year olds make up more than 20 percent of the population in our nation Yet only one in 10 churches can meet that demographic within their own congregation. That 20% of the congregation is in the age range of 18 to 34. It seems like a whole generation is finding church less welcoming, less important, and less relevant than ever. And you don't need statistics to feel that the change in the terrain culturally as Christianity has moved to the margins of discourse and influence. It's not so much that we've been carried off to a foreign land, but that the ground has changed under our feet. The air has shifted all around us, and it feels like we used to be on the right track, and now we've lost almost everything. And being the church in exile is not easy. It hurts. It makes us sad. But if I'm truthful with you, it doesn't just make me sad, it makes me angry. Angry at the world for rejecting us. Angry at ourselves for not doing more or doing better. Angry at God for letting this happen. How do we sing the Lord's songs in a strange land? So when they go to Babylon, God's people have a big question. And their question is, okay, when is this going to be over? We've been carried off to this unfamiliar place, this strange place. When is it going to end? That's their big question. This question they're always asking. And kind of like a child who 
is on day one of being grounded. Y'all with me? I, I, this group just looked up at me. <clears throat> it's like being on day one of being grounded. And you go to your parents and you say, first off, I'm sorry. Right? And you got to mean it. You got to mean it. So you, you take it down a notch, right? You can't say this in your normal voice. You got to be like, first off, I'm sorry. And second, I think I've learned my lesson. So, um, and, and your parent says, you know what? I forgive you. And what lesson do you think you've learned? And then you explain it. I think, I think I've learned that I need to be honest. I think I've learned that I need to be more respectful. That's, that's so good. You have learned, and that's good. I hope you take that to heart. I want to see that. And then you say, so can I be ungrounded? Right? I've learned. I've said I'm sorry. So I not only acknowledged what I did wrong, I have shown you that I can make it right. Now, we're done here, right? The discipline's over. And every good parent says, no, come back to me in six days. Then, you'll, then I'll know you've learned. Right? Only God, the parent in this situation, doesn't say six days. He says, come back to me in 70 years. 70 years. And then we'll talk about it. By the way, when he told them this, he didn't actually say it to their face. He sent them a letter. You say, hold on, Adam, a letter? Yeah, an actual letter. He wrote a letter. God has Jeremiah deliver a letter to all of the people in exile. And he's supposed to tell them what God has on his heart. In, in Jeremiah 29, we have the letter. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile. Now stay right there. Who carried them there? God. Well, I thought Babylon did that. God is in control. Even when things feel like they're going the exact wrong way and out of control. God says, I've got you where I want you. I've put you where I desire you to be. Even if you don't think I've got you in the right place, I've got you right where you need to be. I, I carried you into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, but this is what I write. Now look at verse 5. Build houses. Settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Build houses, settle down. It's not going to be over anytime soon. Invest yourself in taking the time to go ahead and build a house. Don't rent. It's going to take a while. So go ahead and get yourself a place to stay. Oh, by the way, plant a garden there is, and eat what it produces. There is nothing like waiting for a meal, right? Planting and eating what you produce is not a quick pr procedure. He said, I want you to take your time investing in this. Look at verse 6. I want you to marry and have sons and daughters. I want you to find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too can have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, don't decrease. I've got you right where I want you, and I want you to flourish there. I want you to fulfill the first command I gave you, which was be fruitful and multiply. I want this you to understand that this change that you're undergoing is not a quick thing. This is not a one day, this is not a weekend trip. This is a three generation long plan that I'm working on. Do you think this is the news they wanted? 
Look at verse 7. Because 7 is where it gets wild. He says, I want you to pray for them. He says, seek the peace and prosperity. I want to be clear about this. The word peace there is the word shalom. That is an extraordinarily important Hebrew word that has to do with the purpose of God's covenant in the Old Testament. The purpose of God's covenant with his people was for them to find shalom. It doesn't just mean peace and then the absence of conflict. It means wholeness, wellness. Seek the peace of the city to which I've carried you. Hold on. I'm supposed to seek the shalom of Babylon? Think about that for a minute. Babylon's the bad guys. They're the enemies. I'm supposed to seek the shalom and prosperity of Babylon. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Don't wage war against them. Bless them. In every way possible, when they asked if they could go back, God told them that instead he wanted them to get comfortable where they were, to invest in where they were, to bless where they were. Don't look back, look forward. You thought I lived in the temple, but you need to remember that there's a God in Babylon and I'm looking for you to join me in my work here and now. This is key. When God sends his people into exile, it's not because God is inactive and did not fight on our side. It is not because God is uninterested and does not care. It's because God has a plan. You may be more familiar with Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, which is also in the letter. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Oh, well, that's the one we use on Grad Sunday. Right? Because we're telling people, hey, God has a plan. It's going to be okay. The future's great. Go get it. The context in which this verse comes into play is Jeremiah the prophet writing a letter from God to the exiles saying, I know my plans. You may not. You think I didn't show up. I showed up. I'm the one who carried you into exile. I showed up and I put you where I want you and I have plans for you. And trust me, it is not for your harm. It is for your prosperity. My plans are for your good. I am for you even when you think I'm disciplining you. That sounds like a parent. That sounds like a father who loves his children. I have plans to give you a hope and a future. Not too long ago, I had my heart broken in a good way by a close friend. The wounds of a friend can be trusted, right? That's in Proverbs. That's in there. The wounds of a friend can be trusted. And this friend took me to breakfast Because if you're going to hurt someone, you should probably buy him a meal. (laughs) And he asked me a really hard question. 
that he knew might upset me. He said, um, so what is our church actually doing? Predictably, I was angry and defensive at first. No, not me. I said, um, what do you mean? We're busting our hump trying to bounce back from a global pandemic that almost halved our attendance and eviscerated our giving. We are working ourselves to the bone trying to fend off a cultural shift that's seeing people leave the church faster than ever. And we're burning ourselves out attempting to meet the needs of a nostalgic congregation that, with a frustrated membership who want to be part of a winner and are tired of losing. Oh yeah, we sold our building too. So we're trying to figure that out. What are you doing? Something like that. He patiently and graciously let the storm blow itself out. And then he helped me understand that his question didn't come from a place of cynical disgust. But from a genuine desire to know what we believed our purpose to be. And I answered him in several ways after that. And each time he kept asking me for more. I don't know who taught him that. Tell me more. I said to him, well, Rochester Church of Christ is called to live God's gospel truth and love with the world so that we all may find life together in God. Straight from the website. Nailed it. I helped write that. I probably should know it. He, He said, no, 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 that's our vision statement. I'm not talking about our vision. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm asking about our, I'm not, that could be true of any church. I'm asking about our church. What are we doing? And I said, okay, well, this year we've really been focused on Jesus' invitation to follow me. And he says, okay, uh, that is our teaching theme. And then he told me, I like the teaching theme. But that's what we're learning. That's not what we're doing. Mad at myself. And here's the deal. I was mad at myself. And I'm going to be confessional here. You get to be voyeuristic. (laughs) I was mad at myself because I felt like a good pastor would know how to answer that question. A lot better than I had been doing. And I was mad because I didn't have a good answer. So I took one last desperate shot. And I said, well, we're doing lots of stuff. I mean, we've been appointing ministers, deacons who are leading all sorts of important ministries. And, and, and we're really leaning into some of our ministry partnerships. And there's, there's service projects. There's, there's mission trips. This summer has tons of stuff for our families with youth and younger children. And he said, all right, we're getting closer. Because people are ready to buy in and help and step up. And I see that. But saying that we have people working doesn't mean that they know what they're working on. Or what this work really means right now. And that's when it hit me. And now is when I take a tie-in to Jake and Elwood Blues. 
We need a mission. We need a mission, not an abstract vision, not a 30,000 foot overview of what's important. We need a boots on the ground, what in God's name are we doing here, mission. We need a plan for what to do in this new place. We need to know what God is calling us to do in this situation. A mission lets you display and live into who you are. It gives purpose and direction to our everyday discipleship. And we can't change the past. We can't go backwards in time. But we can understand our purpose for what we're doing right now. We can know that there is a God in Babylon and that God has a plan for us right here and now. And church, I wish I could tell you, so here's my letter from God. I don't have that, but I do have something else that's pretty useful. I've got Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. Of course they did, because their enemies, the Sadducees, had been silenced. So now is our chance. We can use this to our advantage. They get them, and one of them, an expert in the law, decides to test Jesus with this question. He says, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Teacher, I need you to tell me what is most important to God. What's the greatest command? What's the, what's the thing we need to know more than anything else? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Loving God and loving neighbors. Now, I want to be clear. This is not two loves. This is one love. That the first one, loving God, is the source for what we're doing with the second one, loving our neighbors. Okay, an easy way to say it and remember this is loving our neighbor is what we do. Loving God is why we do it. Loving our neighbor is what we do. Loving God is why we do it. The other day I asked God how how can I love you better today than I did yesterday? And God answered me back. He said, how can you love your neighbors better today than you did yesterday? I asked God, how do I love you better? And he said, how do you love your neighbors better? That's how you love me better. Loving our neighbor is what we do. Loving God is why we do it. Jesus gives us, I think Jesus has given us, in that statement, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord and love your neighbor. I think Jesus gave us the strategy for winning the world to Christ right there. But we've opted for all kinds of other different strategies. Amen. Jesus came up with the strategy to love our neighbors. It's what he did. John 1.14 says that Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus moved into our neighborhood and he lived as the best neighbor possible to everyone in his path. He gave his time, his energy, his resources, pouring out his life into his neighbors. 
And the question for us is, are we going to follow him? And some of you say, okay, Adam, this sounds familiar. As a matter of fact, you talked like this about five years ago. You had us fill out this grid thing. Flashbacks. Right? I gave you this grid, this, this neighboring chart where I said, okay, there's your house in the middle. And I want you to take the spots all around it. And I want you to write in your neighbors on each side. And I want you to know their names. And here's what we found out. Most of us didn't know their names. It's hard to say you love your neighbor if you don't know their name. Otherwise, I think you love the idea of your neighbor. Loving real people is a lot harder than loving ideas. I'm not asking you to love the idea of your neighbor. I'm asking you to love your actual neighbor. So you need to know their name. And then I said, I want you to find out one thing about them that you can't find out just by looking at their driveway. (laughs) Right? Don't be like me. No, I have... uh, I have good lawn guy. I've got bad lawn guy. I've got weird guy. My neighbors. I've got, I've got um, crotchety guy, grumpy guy, who has an awesome dog. I've got the new couple. I've got the people with the pool. And I've got the guy who's been renovating his house since we moved in. All right? What are their names, though? Uh, I mean, well, okay, so we got white truck guy. Nope, that, you can tell that by looking at his driveway. Well, I think the people across the street either cheer for or went to Michigan State. You can tell that by looking at their driveway. See, this is getting to know your neighbor. And then I ask you to pray for your neighbor, to find a way to connect with what's really going on in their life. You might find out that, as a matter of fact, grumpy guy next door, I know his name. I'm not going to say it because I don't want him to know that I think he's grumpy guy. (laughs) But grumpy guy's wife was going in for surgery. And so I got to meet them at the hospital and pray with them. And now Grumpy Guy's not grumpy to me anymore. Y'all remember this? This is, this is loving your neighbor, right? Great, awesome, you're there. Now, though, I want us to think about loving our neighbor, and I want us to take it from an individual level, your house, and I want to think about the communal level, because this is the mission that God has given us. Note, there are countless great missions that the church can have. Countless. And I'm not saying any of them are better or worse than another. What I'm saying is, this is the one I believe God has given us. What, what is different about us than any other church? This is the thing that I believe we have the opportunity to do. I want you to look at the block chart again. There it is. But our church is in the middle, but we don't have a building, so I'm taking away the building. We sold it. And so now there's just our family, which it turns out is a pretty great thing to have. Okay? As a matter of fact, boy, it sounds like the New Testament church. So there's us. And I want us to think about who our neighbors are. And on every side, we have one neighbor. 
Rochester University. They exist on every side of our, of our, of our family right now. Because they own all of this. We're in their neighborhood. So, loving our neighbor is going to be our church's mission. And that neighbor that God has brought to us is Rochester University. Amen. So, this is us now. Love your neighbor. I like that. I did. That's why I like it. I made it. That's why I like it. <clears throat> but you can see there we have our little mosaic logo and we have their our U logo and there it is. I want, I want you to think about this with me because I'm going to take the rest of my time and I want to share with you what this actually looks like. Okay, because it's one thing to say, okay, Adam, we're going to love our neighbor. How, I mean, okay, what does that mean? That I need to emote warmly about the university? Um, I want this to not be something you simply learn about. I want it to be something you do. Okay, so we're going to talk about what it means. What, is it, what does it mean to live loving our neighbor if our neighbor is Rochester University? And this is our mission. Uh, First off, as the church that meets here on campus, get used to that language. Okay, campus is not simply over there. This is campus. This is the Rochester University Alumni Center. We happen to meet in the auditorium that is inside Rochester University Alumni Center. Okay, as the church that meets here on campus, the mission of Rochester Church of Christ is to share Christ within the Rochester University community. This is the mission field God literally brought to us. This is our opportunity to live out the mission given in Jeremiah 29. Remember, it was a letter sent to a bunch of God followers who didn't have their building anymore. And he said, put down roots and stay a while. Invest in the new location. Invest in generations to come. Pray for their wellness and commit yourselves to it. We have literally given up home field advantage, and it might be the best thing that could have ever happened to us. I'm looking right now at one of my dear friends, Garth Pleasant, who coached a Rochester University basketball team that never had home court advantage. You got one now, and it's pretty great. It's got your name on it. I know you hate that. But you played without a home court. Every game you played was a road game or a neutral site game. How many championships? Four? Sometimes giving up home court advantage might be an all right thing. Okay, this, this is what God has brought us to. This is outward focused, not inward focused. Churches that exist for their own sake are unsustainable, if not downright unhealthy. God has called his disciples to live as disciples and to make disciples. This mission positions our family to live outwardly for the sake of people we hope to share the gospel with. And this is our primary mission. Now, I want to be clear. That does not mean this is the only thing we're doing. It doesn't mean we're abandoning other good works and good things that are happening. 
This is not going to stop the good things, good works, and good ministries happening. That, that you say, I don't know that there's a real direct connection to are you in this ministry. We're not looking to stop doing good things. Please don't hear me say that. We will not be abandoning everything else. We will not be abandoning everyone else. However, moving forward, we believe that God has called us to set our hearts on this community and to make sharing his gospel truth and love with them our primary task. And I need you to hear me. This is about so much more than Sunday morning worship gathering. If for no other reason than if you haven't noticed, most of them aren't here. Sunday morning at 10, we can't say we're really going out there and ministering to Rochester University's community if they're not here on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. So this, every time I say it isn't about this, people go, that means it's about that. Which either means you don't trust me or you think I'm wrong. You say, well, you're telling me you're not going to let it affect anything? Okay. Yes, we will give thought to how our worship service speaks to and ministers to the campus community, the students, the faculty, and the staff. We will work to find the best ways to communicate the good news in the most meaningful and relevant ways. But this really is not primarily about Sunday mornings. It's not even really about growing Sunday morning attendance. I know I just lost some of you. I would love to see that happen. And I'll be honest with you, I think we will see it happen. But the goal is to share Jesus with the Rochester University community because that's the mission the Lord has given us. And the value of the mission is in the doing of it. Not in any external result. Obedience is its own reward. So what does it look like? For starters, it looks like presence. That's with a C-E, presence, not gift. <laughs> we might give some stuff away too, but presence with a C-E at the end. I've, asked, I've told you this a lot. How do people spell love? T-I-M-E. Time. That's how most of us spell it. Okay, and so all of us are going to invest, all of us, I'm not just talking about what the staff is doing. All of us are going to invest ourselves in spending time pouring into the lives of the folks next door. How many of you like basketball? This is the participatory section. Matt, you didn't raise your hand. You played He's like, that's why I don't like it. No. Um, you were good for six fouls, no matter what. Five, right? You had five. Good for five, no matter what. It's important to realize. And now, Amy, you're not getting off the hook either. I didn't see your hand either. And you played. You played a weird kind, because we've talked about that. It was six person. That's that different. But, okay. You like basketball? Great news. They have a team. And, and, and we're going to go watch basketball games for Jesus. By the way, their coach, Clint, he goes here. Him and his family. So we're going to go and we're going to cheer on the team. Every game. So when you have a free evening, 
See if they're playing. Go watch them play. Buy season tickets. Show up again and again and again. Do you like hockey? Because they have a hockey team too. And we're going to watch hockey for Jesus. Can you do that? Yes. You like baseball, softball, bowling, soccer, volleyball? Great. We're going to watch all of those teams play for Jesus. Those teams will know that our family cares about them. Those teams are also going to get to know some of us as team chaplains, as counselors, as mentors, as tutors. You have a role to play in all of that. Some of you may like theater. Sports may not be your your thing, but theater, Robert, Kim, theater, guess what? They have one of those. And and we're going to watch plays and productions they put on at least six a year. Imagine your life group going to watch a production together as part of your ministry to that campus. We're going to bless the students by being with there with them and being there for them. We're going to cheer them on and we're going to celebrate them. Even more, we're going to talk to them. We're going to serve alongside them. We're going to partner with them on warrior serve days. The Rochester University Warriors, the school, gets together and puts on these service days where it's sort of like our Project 122. And they serve the community. And we're going to be joining them alongside that. And when they have those, we're going to have an opportunity to sign up for us to volunteer alongside them. And you're going to serve alongside them. You're going to talk to them and get to know them. And and, and we want to bless the whole Rochester University community, not just the students. We want to bless the administration. We're going to increase our involvement in partnership dinner. Raising funds for scholarship and development. We're going to pray over and pray for the administrative team. Do you know how how good it feels to get a card in the mail? Some of y'all are like, I don't care. But some of y'all just went, yeah, that means a lot to me. Great. If you like writing note cards, imagine imagine the, the members of the administration opening up a note card that says, I'm praying for you and I love you. I'm thankful for what you do. Imagine the difference that can make in their life. This is something you can be a part of. You can write a note card. You say, but I don't even know him really well. doesn't matter. We want to come alongside staff-led programs and initiatives to bless those that work in this community. Debbie. Debbie runs, among other things, the ACE Lab, the Academic Center for Excellence, which is where students can go and, and, and get any kind of academic assistance or growth so that they can continue to develop. And it's not just tutoring for the kids that don't get it. It's tutoring for every student who wants to learn more. And they help them with ac- achieve academic excellence. One of the things they need is coffee. So guess what? We're going to provide coffee for the ACE Lab. 
And you know what else? They need some baked goods every now and then. So how many of you like to bake? Pam better be raising her hand. Yeah. <laughs> She's not here. Well, she should be at home somewhere raising her hand. She's like, I like baking. Because you asked Pam for like 10 cookies. And she's like, here's three dozen. <laughs> and they're individually wrapped. And they're, so, I mean, she gets after it. But they need baked, individually wrapped things every so often. So if that sounds like something you want to do to say, I want to help. Great. I've got a place for you to help using your gifts. The Res Life team works hard to develop the student body and help them acclimate to the on-campus community. And we're going to be a resource alongside them. As a matter of fact, coming up Saturday, August 27th, that is New Student Move-In Day. Okay, that is New Student Move-In Day, August 27th. From 9.30 to 1.00, Families are going to be dropping their kids off at college and moving them into the residence halls. And we're going to be there with strong arms and strong backs and matching t-shirts. And the t-shirts are great. They say, will you be my neighbor? Right, in Mr. Rogers font. And on the back, they have the little mosaic thing and it says, Rochester Church, loving God and neighbors. And we're going to wear these shirts to everything we go to. Basketball games, theaters, all of it. You'll be able to pick one up. I'm asking for a little bit of a donation for the shirts. Okay, but we're going to have them out here uh, starting, I believe, that week, um, the week leading up to it. Uh, we'll have them. And uh, minimum $5 donation? How's that? Okay. Uh, you can, you know, if you think it looks like a $40 shirt, we're not going to say no. <laughs> I will tell you, it costs us more than five. But understand, we want, we want you to wear it. We want you to have it. We're going to be there, though. And we've got to, not just, not only going to be strong arms and strong backs, we're going to have a snack table there with all kinds of fresh, that's right, amen. Al Bastier knows what's up. Amen. Uh, some snacks for the people that are working hard. Okay, we're, we're going to be there, and you can sign up to help for an hour, for two hours. I'm going to be there for about two hours, from 9.30 to 11.30, because I have somewhere to be at noon. But I'm going to be there. Kenny's going to be there the whole time. All right, Karen's going to be there the whole time. All right, there's folks, we're going to be there. I want y'all to be sure that you sign up to help them. If you want to know, where do I sign up? I can go to the website, go to the website and sign up. You can sign up for an hour long slot and say, I'm willing to help people move in and get to know families and represent our church. I'm willing to love my neighbor for an hour on Saturday, August 27th. Faculty. We're going to come alongside the faculty and their departments to be a blessing to them as well. Several faculty members attend here, and we're thankful for them. In years past, we've adopted students, but now I want us to adopt departments and classes. Praying with them and over them, engaging the departments with networking opportunities that might yield class trips to on-site experiences, internships in all disciplines, and other creative ways to partner. 
I was talking with my brother Dean and he said, you know, I'm really excited about this because I've been working in this robotics corporation, it's a massive robotics corporation, and we're always looking for classes that would love to come and see what's happening. And so he's getting in touch with the science department to see if he can get a couple classes to come over and see what they're doing in robotics. He's saying, I'm trying to open up an internship. Okay, well, Dean is not on staff. This is someone who sees the opportunity and is saying, I want, I want, a, I want a mission. I want something to do. This, is my, this can be my purpose too. And he's buying in. We want to open doors to welcome the community, their community to be with us as well. In addition to helping the spiritual life team lead chapel and worship Fridays, we look forward to welcoming some of their on-campus musicians to help us lead our worship. as part of our praise team and our band. We want to make internships a normal part of our rhythm. Not only in our youth and children's ministry, although that'll continue, not only in our preaching ministry, although I hope to see that continue, but also in things like nonprofit business administration, which I believe is a new major over there. Missional engagement. Communications. We can teach life skills to people who wish school taught them that. There's countless ways for us to love our neighbor at Rochester University. You see, God has given us amazing opportunity to overcome the barriers of generational mistrust and miscommunication. You say, Adam, I don't understand them and they don't understand me. They believe different things than I believe about the world and how it should be. Yes, just like everyone else. And it's amazing that Jesus didn't say love your neighbor as long as they agree with you. As long as they're like you. You say, I'm going to be uncomfortable. Exactly, just like you were marching over to your neighbor's house and introducing yourself. We're going to be uncomfortable. We're going to figure out how to do it, though, because this is the mission we've been given. What does RCC do? We're going to be a place where our neighbors feel genuinely loved and chosen. We are going to love our neighbors and invest in the Rochester University community that surrounds us. Is that all we do? No. That is not all we do. But it's our primary mission. And that mission field, Rochester University, is big enough, important enough, and accessible enough to give us plenty of exciting work to do for years to come. So I'm asking you today to begin praying and letting the Spirit lead your imagination into ways that you can invest in this community. And as as something strikes your heart, talk to me, talk to Dan, talk to Kenny, talk to Phil, talk to anyone on staff, Betty and and, and Sarah and Karen, talk, talk to us, talk to your shepherds. If it's within the area where you have a new a minister that's leading that area, say, say it's the women's ministry, talk to Carolyn and say, I have a way that our women's ministry might be able to help. Bounce the ideas off, let, let them flow. 
I'm asking you to open your mind and your heart to see what an opportunity God has given us to serve together, blessing this community and commit to us helping to do that. I'm asking you to invite others to join us on this mission. Because I believe that there are a lot of Christians who are looking for a church that knows what they're actually doing right now. So I'm asking you to invite people to join us because I think people are dying to find a church that has a purpose. Now, Kenny, I want to go ahead and bring your team up. I want to ask our prayer team to come up. How do we sing the Lord's songs in a strange land? Here's how you do it. By opening your mouth and by trusting that God will provide the words and the song. By trusting that God has a plan, that God is here and moving and active, that we are not abandoned, but rather we are called and empowered to be his witnesses in a new place in a world that we may not recognize. And it may feel like a strange land, but someone once told me that home is where your heart is. And my heart is going to be wherever God has shown me and put someone in front of me to love. God loves me so much that he sent his son to teach me how to love. And I'm one of his favorites. God loves you so much that he sent his son to show you how to love and how much he loves you. And you're one of his favorites. Not as favorite as me, but it's not a competition, but I'm winning. God loves you so much that he sent his son to show us how to love to teach us his love, to die sharing his love so that our sins were washed away and so that death was defeated forever. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Are you his? I hope you're his. I don't just want to rally you to a good cause. We're not doing this out of our energy and our resources. We're doing this out of God's. We love God And that's the source for loving our neighbor. Do you know him? Is he yours? I hope you're his. If if you don't belong to Christ, I hope you're baptized today. God loves us so much that he's gone before us. Even when we were going into places that seemed unfamiliar, difficult, and undesirable. God loves us so much. That he invites us to join join him there and find abundant life and blessing. Our lamb has conquered. Amen? Amen. Our lamb has conquered. Will we follow him? Heavenly Father, I pray that this message has been a blessing to those listening. I pray that you would continue to work in our lives in ways that are evident and easily seen. Most of all, I pray thank you for loving us and choosing us. We don't deserve it, but you are so good and so faithful and so true. We thank you for your spirit and your son. May we grow in them to your glory, Father. In Christ's holy name, amen.